Hello, and welcome once again to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm your host, Danny Smith. Recently, our marketing department set up an interview for me on a syndicated radio show out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And although I'm usually the one conducting the interviews, I thought it would be interesting to be on the other side of the microphone for once. The subject of the interview was the distracted worker. Having done numerous conference presentations on distracted driving in the past, I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about some of the concepts that were common in both areas. I mean, distractions on the road really aren't that different from distractions everywhere else, right? Due to the format of the show, I was only being interviewed for one segment, and by the time we did the preliminary introductions and closing comments, it felt like we were only on for just a few moments. But I also felt like the subject was something that needed exploring a bit more. So let's talk a little bit about distractions. First of all, uh, in my mind, it's not really a question of if we get distracted. It's a question of when we get distracted. Our brains are just simply not wired to function at a high red alert status, if you will, on a constant basis. Not to delve too deeply into the neuroscience of what's going on in our gray matter, our, our minds really just prioritize what we need to focus on. And then it relegates certain routine tasks to our subconscious mind while our conscious mind deals with, if you will, the crisis of the moment. That's why we can do things like drive home and literally not remember anything about the commute from our office. We've done it so many times that our subconscious mind remembers the route and directs us home. By the way, if you've ever moved and then found yourself a week later sitting in your old driveway waving to the folks who bought your old house as they look at you rather strangely, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I speak at conferences and on-site with clients about distracted driving, I often talk about the different types of distractions that are out there. And There's an older study from 2011 from the Governor's Highway Safety Association and State Farm that groups distractions into four different categories. And I think we can look at these and apply them regardless of the task that we're doing. In other words, they're not just limited to driving a vehicle. The first type of distraction that they mention is a visual distraction, and that's pretty self-explanatory. But it involves looking at something other than the task that you're doing. In Safe Start terminology, eyes not on task can increase the likelihood of having a corresponding error resulting in either line of fire or in losing your balance, traction, or grip. In a vehicle, a visual distraction could be, well, any number of things. A person walking down the street, a billboard, uh, an accident on the other side of the interstate, although I've never quite understood why our side needs to stop when there's nothing hindering traffic over here. Can we go on, people? Anyway, calm down, Danny. Uh, Perhaps it's uh, looking for a specific street sign if you're looking for a new store that you haven't been to before. In industry, there are lots of visual distractions as well. Workers can glance at a forklift passing by their workstation or read a text on their cell phone while they're walking back for the break room or even look at a coworker while they're having a conversation and working on something at the same time. The second distraction covered by the study we mentioned before is an auditory distraction. I suppose the conversation between the coworkers we were just talking about would qualify as a potential auditory distraction between two people. You see, 
You can also see here how a distraction isn't just limited to one area or, to put it another way, to one of your senses. Uh, personally, I know I have a lot of auditory distractions that I deal with. Uh, many of you know I'm a musician and I play bass guitar and drums and I sing a little. Uh, now, most people are usually glad when they hear me sing that I only sing a little, but that's another story entirely. Now, while I've got some musical styles that I prefer over others, I do listen to a lot of different stuff, and very often I'm listening for specific parts to play or to sing. Are you starting to see how this can be a distraction? And for me, it's not just limited to music either. I, I listen to talk radio as well, sports or news talk, either one. And true confession time here, I've, I've got a bit of a bad habit when I do this. I, I actually argue with the talking heads from the radio shows. Now, I don't mean I call in and argue with them either. No, 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 no. no I, I just do it from the privacy of my own truck. Often when my wife is with me, she'll reach over and pat me on the leg and just remind me, honey, they can't hear you. No, but it makes me feel better. That's usually my response. By the way, I bet I'm not the only one that does this. Can you sense the auditory distractions here as well? The third type of distractions mentioned in the report are manual distractions. And in a vehicle, this might be adjusting the seat, uh, changing the radio station because you've simply had enough and can't take it anymore, maybe moving a mirror, or even reaching for the toy that your grandbaby just dropped in the back seat. At work, it could be moving the wrong control knob while you're trying to, to dial in the operations of a piece of machinery. Uh, perhaps accidentally hitting reply all instead of reply on an email. I've heard that can really get you into a world of trouble. Uh, or it could be just being distracted a bit while you are doing a repetitive task. And that leads us to kind of our fourth type of distraction that was identified in that report. And those are, in my opinion, potentially the most dangerous cognitive distractions. And this goes back to something we touched on earlier as well, how our brains sort out different activities into the conscious and the unconscious minds. Uh, things that we've, we're familiar with or that we do on a regular basis, you know, things that you make comments about, like, I've replaced this gear so many times I could do it in my sleep, or I've driven this stretch of road so much I could do it with my eyes closed, but I bet we're probably not going to try it, right? Our mind conveniently regulates those things to our subconscious mind, especially when there are other things going on mentally. Let's say, for example, if you have a sick child at home, or you're thinking about a presentation you have to do tomorrow, maybe thinking about how to best fix a quality problem, or even reflecting on a call with your boss that didn't go exactly like you had planned. All of those things can become the primary focus of your attention in your conscious mind. Or, to frame it in the context of our discussion, any of them can become cognitive distractions. With Safe Start, we've often talked about three different types of what we call at-risk behaviors or at-risk actions, and there are deliberate, habitual, and unintentional at-risk behaviors. Those are pretty self-explanatory, but let's dive into them just a bit deeper as it pertains specifically to distractions. Let's take, for example, the at-risk behavior of using a cell phone, be it for an actual call, a, a text, or, or checking something on an app. Uh, for this example, we won't even limit it to using the phone while driving. It 
could be just while we're walking. Now, many would consider this to be a deliberate at-risk behavior. I'm not going to argue that point. However, it's my opinion, and I've talked to a lot of other people who agree with me, that we've reached a point in our society where this is not only deliberate, it's also become, for a lot of us, very habitual. In fact, it's so common that a lot of companies that I talk to have said that they've had to ban cell phones on their shop floors because they've become such a distraction. In 2015, the National Safety Council began, for the first time ever, publishing statistics related to cell phones and distracted walking. Did you catch that? Not distracted driving, distracted walking. They found that from 2000 to 2011, walking accidents or incidents with cell phones accounted for more than 11,000 injuries. 80% of those were from falls. And by the way, 54% of them were folks under the age of 40. So it's not like the old commercial, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, but like the commercial, it is, uh, well, it's the things that are happening in a familiar area for most of us. 53% of these accidents happened at home. So it's clear to see distractions happen everywhere. They happen at home. They happen at work, and they certainly happen on the road. Uh, to put it another way, I don't think we have a distracted worker problem. We have a distracted lifestyle problem. Now, I don't want to bore you with a bunch of studies and statistics here, but let me quickly mention one more. It comes from a Safe Kids Worldwide study from August of 2013. They look specifically at distractions with students because they determined that 50% of pedestrian deaths at the time of the study were teenagers between the ages of 15 and 19. And in that study, they observed both high school and middle school students as they were crossing streets near their schools. They found that one in five high schoolers were distracted, and one in nine middle school students were distracted as well. Now, depending upon the specific age group here, that's between 11 and 20 percent who were distracted at that moment in time. And just think about it. That is a single snapshot in time. I'm pretty sure the others that were not viewed at the time as being distracted at the moment probably faced the same issues themselves at other times. And by the way, did you notice the date on this study? 2013. So I'd ask, where are those students now? Exactly. Now they're on our shop floors and working in our offices. Do you think they've gotten better in dealing with distractions since 2013? I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that they probably haven't. You see, we usually don't get better at something accidentally. It usually has to be planned and intentional. We've all heard the phrase, practice makes perfect, but I'd contend it's not simply true at all. I found you can practice doing something the wrong way and get really, really good at screwing it up every time. And if you'd ever seen my golf swing, you'd understand that comment perfectly. What practice really makes is permanence. With Safe Start, we talk a lot about working on and practicing good safety-related habits. I found this is a great skill set to utilize when it comes to dealing with distractions, but the problem is there's a lot of what I would call junk science out there when it comes to habitual behavior. I'm sure you've probably heard some of this, too. Things like, if you do something 21 days in a row, it becomes a habit. Well, it's just not accurate. In fact, the action really needs to be repeated over 
triple that amount of times in order for it to become habitual. That's right, almost 60 times, or actually more than 60 times. Uh, the neuroscientist would tell us that when we're practicing habits, what we're really doing is we're building what they call preferred neural pathways. And in layman's terminology, what that really means is we're developing habit strength in our subconscious minds so that we can do routine things automatically without having to stop and think about them. By doing this, those habits actually compensate for complacency, including during those times when we're distracted. An example I like to use with this is using the handrail while walking up or down stairs. That wasn't something that was natural for most of us. We had to learn the habit of holding the handrail. Now, when we were first learning this habit, we would approach a set of stairs. And think about this, the process we would go through mentally. We walk up to a set of steps, and we, as we see that, we think, oh, it's a set of steps. And then our mind, our conscious mind, tells our hand and our arm to reach out and grab the handrail. Over time, though, it gets to the point where we don't have to think, hey, reach for the handrail. It gets to the point when you get to true habit strength, when, when you're approaching the set of steps, your hand automatically moves and grabs the handrail. Again, that's true habit strength. That's when that has been developed to that level. Give you another quick example. If uh, you're older like me, uh, you can probably remember a time back before there were seatbelt laws and uh, you didn't necessarily have to wear a seatbelt in a vehicle. Heck, my first car didn't even have seatbelts. Now, it was older than I was. I want to make sure that's clear. But for those of you like me who have been driving for a while, when those laws came into effect, uh, we had to learn the new habit of putting on a seatbelt. If you fast forward a few decades, and, and now it really feels weird if we get into a vehicle and forget to put one on for just a moment. In fact, most of us, when we get into our cars or our trucks, the first thing that happens is our arm reaches over our shoulder to grab the seatbelt, and we do that without thinking about it consciously. Again, that's true habit strength. So, if we want to overcome distractions, regardless of the source and the location of the distractions, one of the best techniques i found is practicing those good safety-related habits and getting them to solid habit strength. Because, as we said up front, it's not a question of if we get distracted, it's a question of when. That's all the time we have for today. If you'd like more information about the concepts we mentioned, you can visit our website at www.safestart.com. And if you found this helpful and insightful, uh, be sure to share it with a friend, a family member, or a coworker. Until next time, for Safe Talk with Safe Start, I'm Danny Smith. Have a great day.